0: Welcome back to the Culture World Podcast. I'm Lexi Sills Johnson. And today, episode six, we'll be talking about burning it down versus anchoring to aspiration. If you want to know what that means, stay tuned for more.
1: People have like the language and knowledge of like abolition and abolishing systems that are only making like incremental changes. And they're, again, tired, exhausted. And they're like, we have to like get rid of and they want it in a radical way of the things that are oppressing people. So I think like a lot of people
0: before us felt like this is my place. Yeah. yeah. And like this is where I have been and this is where my family has been and I I I still good being here. Whereas I think a lot of others are like no, I'm going to be an
2: innovator. Like we grew up in the age of technology. Well, there's something ridiculously substantive that people are calling for and they're calling for it at a global level. And if we don't listen to it, we might actually be standing in the ashes. We're back from the Redlands Koi Gardens in Miami, Florida. Love, love, love being here in this nature preserve. Um, as we jump into the sixth episode of the Culture Road Podcast, just know that we invite you to feel the whole South Florida vibe that we're in, including roosters, exotic birds. We got the whole thing going on, waterfalls. So please kind of enjoy the space and, and feel like you're part of the conversation. Today, the conversation is about something that is incredibly personal to me. It's around a philosophical discussion that, that I've been having with myself for many years and also that I've been having sometimes even in confrontational ways over the last uh, several months especially. And what I would love for us to do in this episode is think about some of the philosophical ways in which we approach equity, diversity and inclusion. So I'll just give a little context here. I've been an equity, diversity and inclusion practitioner for about 30 years. I kind of stumbled into this work, started off as an activist and stumbled into this work with just a lot of passion in my heart about how it is that I can contribute to creating a more equitable world and trying to eliminate bias and oppression in the world, wherever it exists. And I've been following that path as true to form as I can for the entirety of my life. Along the way though, what that means is that I have created programs that haven't always been successful or they haven't been successfully or effectively adopted or that resources have shifted midstream through working with a client or priorities have shifted or recommendations that I or other EDI practitioners um, offer to oftentimes well-meaning executives or managers aren't actually incorporated into practice. And over 30 years, what we find is that accumulated frustration associated with not ever meeting the expectations that we've set out for ourselves and still living in a world that's filled with equity or inequity and also living in a world that continues to be filled with oppression. And now here we are after several years of really complicated uh, focus on oppression and on inequity at the systems level, not just in the United States, but all across the globe. And really thinking about what is it that we're going to do to really create the world that we want to live in. And at this crossroads, the conversation that I continue to be confronted by is, is the work that we're doing related to equity, diversity and inclusion authentic? Is it actually meaningful? Is there any chance that what we can do to change the world is going to be anything more than performative or anything more than incremental? Are we actually going to be able to create a space that we um, have been aspiring for for decades and decades and decades, if not hundreds of years? And so this is the starting point, because one of the things that I've been confronted with is people to me, much younger than me, oftentimes saying, listen, We don't care what you've been doing for the last 30 years, we need you to know that our philosophy is now's the time to just burn it all down and start over. And it's been hard, it's been a hard pill for me to swallow, it's not necessarily a position that I support, however I understand the frustration and I absolutely understand why it is that people have very little faith in some of the performative and also authentic but not necessarily effective efforts that we've made to date. this episode is really about kind of unpacking what does that mean, burn it all down? What are the options other than burn it down? What are the pros and cons of the approach of kind of burn it all down to the ground at a systems level and create something that is wholly built on a brand new model and by new people and new voices? And also, is there a path forward from here, even for people who might have different philosophical approaches? So. My friends, that's what we're starting for. This ridiculously complicated philosophical space that we've had plenty of conversations around, that we continue to have a lot of conversations around, that is continuing to be kind of um, unfolding on a day-by-day basis in the world that we're living in, where there's so many different voices and ideas and things continue to change. So I want us to just talk about this and talk about some of your perspectives and also what what it is that we might look to as far as those of us who really care about this work, who really care about ending oppression in the world, who really care about creating more systems of equity and justice, what are the options, and to do it in a way that acknowledges that we're coming from different identities, different lived experiences, different generations, and bringing all of those like, to the table as we have this conversation, because I really think there's gonna be a lot of wisdom that we can use here, okay? So with that said, before we go any further, let's do introductions, though. So Jayla, you go first, and then Lexi, tell us a little bit about yourself and why it is that you do work related to equity, diversity, and inclusion so we can get a little context.
1: Yeah, of course, so I'm Jayla Hodge. Uh, I was born and raised in Denver, Colorado, um, in Michigan, Chicago. But my background, it's, it's pretty widespread. I have a background in journalism, political science, um, systems organization, as well as like, a lot of activism in there as well, so that gives me a very um, wide like wide perspective to look at this issue at. I've seen kind of both sides of these arguments and I think I have a fairly really good understanding of them and like where where there's maybe more areas of tension and then more areas of understanding. So I'm excited for our conversation today.
2: Nice, thanks, yeah.
0: Jayla. Um, I am Lexi Sills Johnson. I was born and raised in Utah <laughs> um, and went to college there. Um, so, I have a background in higher education, diversity, equity, inclusion, consulting, um, that sort of thing. I think Burn It Down is a very interesting for me because I feel like I have a lot of privilege in knowing how to talk to um, people in power, right? In a way that makes others who are wanting to burn it down be understood. Um, and so I think that's why I really love
2: this topic. I'm very excited to get into it. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, let's jump in then. Yeah. Let's jump in. So I, I definitely have perspectives on how to frame this but I, I've i been talking about this for 30 years. Let's start off with you. Let's start off with you all telling us a little bit more about this you know, widespread philosophy. And for those of you who are just like <laughs> trying to get a context around this, I'll, I'll, I'll give what I think is a super helpful analogy. I remember the last episode of Game of Thrones, right? Just like everyone remembers the last episode of Game of Thrones. And I remember Daenerys riding around on her dragon, literally burning everything down, burning it all down, right? And I remember just being like overwhelmed with emotion. And at the beginning I was like, wow, that's a serious like badass move. I was so like, I was feeling it. And then by the end of it, I was like, wait, 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 what next? Like, do we have a plan? Like, what, what's gonna happen? Like, we're all just gonna be, those of us who actually survive it, standing in the ashes, then what? Like, how do we build from there? And I remember that was like, such a visceral moment for me to think about the idea of, I, I understand dismantling, but what I don't understand is like, from that place of standing in the ashes, then what? And that's the place that I really wrestle with the idea of burn it down. Not that I don't understand things that are broken, but I really also am, you know, maybe just hopelessly optimistic in the in the desire to figure out like what is it that we're going towards. So that's how, for those of you who are like trying to figure out conceptually what this topic is, maybe a potential starting point. But I'd love to hear from you all, like what it is that you all hear and how it is that you would describe this.
0: Yeah. So burn it down for me. I think makes a lot of sense to me because I think the people who believe that way are in a place where they don't see any other option and haven't had the experiences or privileges to feel like there can be any change. And I think it's just, for me, a place of exhaustion. Just like working for so long and seeing your family work for so long to and try as hard as you can in doing the things that people are saying you need to do to be successful or to change the environment and just not seeing any difference in that, like not seeing any difference being made. And I think that's totally valid and I totally understand that. And I think that people like us who have had experiences and privileges to be in a world where we have access to people who can make a difference For me, I see that as my privilege working to understand and validate them and understand there's a place for them, while also knowing that my place is to have those conversations because I haven't had to work as long and as hard as they have had to. Um, And that exhaustion hasn't set in for me yet, right? Uh, And so for me, it's like, okay, I need to be the one to have those conversations so that they don't feel like they have to burn it down. But I don't think a lot of them think about the what next question. I don't think that that's a question. I think it's like, this isn't working and I don't know how to change it. So let's just get rid of it. Huh.
1: And that's how I see it. And I think like we gotta be cognizant that we're talking like very generally here. Right. Um, but I, I agree. With I agree with what you said. I think it's coming from a place of people have like the language and knowledge of like abolition and abolishing systems that are only making like incremental changes. And they're again tired, exhaustion. They're like, we have to like get rid of, and they want it in a radical way, of the things that are oppressing people, are keeping us from um, this vision and view of like how things could be but rapidly. And again, I think that's coming from when you have decades of people feeling oppressed, or like things aren't changing fast enough are living on that side. And all of us with marginalized identities can fully understand that. But then um, the world that, a good example I'll say is like when I was an activist too and I was younger and I hadn't seen um, this side, like this middle ground, I was very much like, yeah, we got to do away with all of that. Like I want it done now. Like my parents were oppressed. I don't want to keep living in the same cycles. And now that like I am on, like this side of being a DEI practitioner and we're working with individuals, I see that there's a lot of good intention within these like systematic incremental changes that is still building to that same vision and view just in two different ways. And I think the good way to bridge that gap is that we all want the same outcome, right? A world without oppression, a world that's more equitable, a world that's more just, our methods of getting there are different.
2: It's interesting. So it's interesting because, you know, Both of you are describing people just being tired or exhausted, right? Which I totally get. But it seems to me like this sentiment is more coming from younger people. So where is this tiredness and exhaustion coming from in people who are so young, who have been, who are so new to the workforce, for example? And I think it's exposure because we
1: are living in like the the digital age. So we've seen on, I've had a phone, I think, since I was like six. So we've seen growing up at a much younger age, we've been exposed to, um, again, the oppression and the brutality that a lot of marginalized communities face. And on a global scale, we see it much bigger.
0: Right, yeah, I think it all goes back to technology and social media, whereas like in the 80s, something horrific would happen and does happen every day, but you don't see it on your page every day. You don't have to watch the video over and over and over again you don't have to, you know, see it when you're seeing it in your face that much. I think it just brings about a feeling of like we this needs to change. I also think it a lot of it is like education um is knowing that we feel like we can rise up to the top, right? Whereas I think like a lot of people before us felt like this is my place. Yeah, yeah. and like this is where I have been and this is where my family has been and I'm, I'm, I feel good being here. Whereas I think a lot of others are like, no, I'm gonna be an innovator. Like we grew up in the age of technology. The whole point is to innovate and make new changes and grow and fast. Technology is fast. So I think for us, it's like, we know it can be done fast.
1: Right. <laughs> and I think it comes from a mutual respect too yeah. of like the generations before us who have done all this work, who have like paved the way um, and understanding like, yeah, we are now we are now here and we want to like push it even further. Right, right. Yeah. So I think it does come from like a place of respect of all of like the activists and all of the innovators and yeah. glass breakers
2: before us. And it's interesting because like, you know, radical ideas are not new. Radical <sighs> ideas have been around for a very, very, very long time, right? It's like critical race theory. Like this isn't brand new. This right. is this has been around for a long time. We're talking about it now, but it kinda of seems like just generational cycles right it just you know like i'm i'm am officially like old enough to have lived through a couple of different generations at this point where i saw this is the energy that i brought to my work when i was in my you know teens and 20s and then i kind of watched after you know this lull this big period of a lull and now i'm watching this resurgence and i wonder if like every generation has that and so like some of the ideas about um, burn it all down are just kind of the natural ways in which new generations express themselves. But I don't want it to be that easily dismissed. Like, oh, there's, this mm-hmm. is just young. This is just what youth does, right? Without really taking um, heed to, no, 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 no. There's something ridiculously substantive that people are calling for. And they're calling for it at a global level. And if we don't listen to it, we might actually be standing in the ashes, right? And then what? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And I agree. I think that
1: um, too, like the level of scrutiny there is overall. So before, um, even just like 10 years ago, when a crisis, or PR from organizations, it wasn't as widespread, right? People aren't looking at leaders as much as they are today, because we have access to, and I think that's what has led a lot more to again, position, burn it down, let's change this, just because we're seeing a whole lot more and we're seeing um, the actions of organizations internally on like an external way now. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I also think we're seeing that it can be done. Like I think um, in previous generations, it was so slow to see, like, a black woman owning her own company and making, like, moving up. Like, it happened, obviously, but people didn't acknowledge it or it's pushed behind. And so I think for me, I'm like, Dieta can build this and create this. And, D- like, Jayla, what we were talking yeah. about it last night. She's like, in 10 years, like, this is where I want to be, you know, because we see that. Whereas I don't yeah. think you saw that. No. So for no. us it's
1: like we see it, we know it can happen. So In let's a, get it done now. There's like <laughs> an energy. energy. We yeah. got yeah. 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 <laughs> there's now an energy like these are the barriers. These are yeah. the structural systemic barriers that are like keeping us where from doing that. And I think that it's honestly coming from a belief because we have yeah. a very strong belief that yeah. we can like that we can do it. And I think that's a fire and it comes off as burn it all down. Yeah,
2: I love it. Okay, so so when you say that there are structural systemic barriers that we're trying to like get rid of, what are they? Like what are the structural systemic barriers that if we made them go away, we could have more equity?
0: Yeah, so I think a big one is capitalism, which I think is talked about a lot. Um, Me and Jayla talk about a lot and we've talked about. And I think there's a place where we see... People taking advantage of in capitalistic ways. And I think when people hear anti capitalism, they say, you can't do anything without money. And I think for me, anti capitalism means you can't do anything without money, but you can make that money equitable. I don't think yeah. there's any place in which someone, there needs to be a billionaire at the top and people can't feed their kids at the bottom. So, like, I'm mm-hmm. all for money. I want to get paid. I want you to get paid. Yeah. You know? right. But I don't see, I don't think there's a, a need for me to have so much more than someone who literally can't survive. And yeah. I think that that's a huge barrier. There's a barrier for education. It, people can't afford to go to school. If they do, they have debt. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's a huge barrier I see.
1: I agree. And I think that there's, like, a misconnotation, um, again, like, there's like political philosoph- philosophical views that are gonna be over here and way over here. But I think majority of people fall into the same middle boat. When we say like anti-capitalism, we mean our system as it is. Like yeah. I'm against the bad parts of it, the parts where people have to work like teachers have to work two jobs just to pay their bills and that there's not a lot of language or focus on work-life balance, are um, where people are just a number, another employees are seen as just another number, are just another role and not like that human element. And I think that when we That's the part of the anti-capitalistic structure that a lot of us want to change. I don't think it's against like entrepreneurship, right? It's like, how can we focus on small businesses, on businesses from owners that are marginalized that had to work a lot harder and compete a lot more are from practices that aren't oppressive are holding anyone down in order to make money. And when you paint it that way, you're like, oh yeah, like most of us fall in that boat.
2: Yeah. Yeah. As a, you know, as a business owner, that's been one of the things that I've run into a lot. When people, I'm having conversations with people who are like equity, diversity, inclusion practitioners, and then all of a sudden we're having a conversation, you know, internally, and somebody starts using the language anti-capitalism, and I'm like, whoa, whoa wait, I'm a capitalist. <laughs> like I literally, in order to be an entrepreneur and live in the United States of America and have a for-profit business, which we do, we don't. This is not a 501c3, right? right. But then, then I am participating in a capitalist. System, but I actually feel like that's great. Right. Right. I actually feel like me being present here and people like me, right, people who are black and brown and women founders and entrepreneurs and CEOs are actually disrupting right. the inequity in the system. And I feel like a lot of times the language is making people feel like you're either, you know, part of the problem or you know you don't you don't even get what the issue is at all and i'm like well actually i feel like what i'm doing is disruptive in its Absolutely. own way so but it is interesting to think about like how our language oftentimes is not necessarily mutually understood and it sometimes is so broadly used right such a blanket statement that we're missing some of the nuances and some of the opportunities for actually achieving the results that we want
0: right
1: yeah. So I really think it's just like a matter of perspective. When before I was like in the industry and an official professional um, EDI practitioner, and it was more in that like realm of just activism um, and learning, I definitely had this perception of like, well, why aren't they doing more? And like the people in these organizations and in these businesses, like they don't care. And if they wanted to change it, they would and then you enter it and you actually interact with the individuals, we hold facilitations, we talk to the C-suite CEO, like we we interact with them and engage with them and then you start to see like, oh, they do care. And they are just a part, the same way that we all are kind of forced to function within the system, so are they, and the system has been around a lot longer than all of us. It is one that we grew into and it's a lot harder to change it from that from, like from there and meeting people like where they're at. Right, right. And that was something that really had to change. But I definitely had friends who were like, oh, I'm surprised that that was the route you took. Um, <laughs> yeah. And like, you were much more radical. And some of it was very judgmental and it was really hard for me. I had to sit there really and think about it. And I realized that like, again, the in- it's the intent. Yeah. And the intent is the same. It's just for those with a different um, path or ideal way to get there, they will see us as standing in the way. And in reality,
2: yeah, we're not. <laughs> yeah, I, l- I love when you're talking about like how it can be judgmental, and I feel like that's the part that's often most hurtful for me, at least as a as an individual, is to know like you know this, this is ridiculously hard work. I right. mean, this is you, there's a lot of yeah. career paths that are so much more emotionally kind of agnostic. Yeah. This is like every single day, we are like bringing our emotional A game. Like yeah. it's, it, it's hard work otherwise, you know, intellectually and physically and all of that. But emotionally, it's yeah. really, really heavy lifting. And to do it for this long and this yeah. earnestly and always trying our hardest to like show up in the service of others right. is, is a real commitment. And then to have some of the most judgmental relationships be with people who look just like us yeah. or people who say, oh, you know, we, who, who we feel like we should have the strongest affinity with, right. actually being the people who are the most judgmental. I feel like yeah. that's the part, and and I don't, I don't, I don't disagree right. that we haven't, by any stretch of the imagination, made the progress that we wanted to, or else we wouldn't be up in arms. Like this, right. the world is on fire right now. We know that, right? But the world is on fire because we haven't made the progress we want and that we need. And so I absolutely support the fact that we need a serious intervention. Right. But philosophically. I don't want, I also am like, wait, I don't feel like this is the time to judge each other. I feel like this is instead the time to like find different pathways towards the same goals. Right,
0: yeah. And I think um, that's exactly what what you said is huge. Um, That there are, and what Jayla said, like everyone thinks that they're doing different things. (laughs) And I think that for a lot of people, they think that, we as EDI practitioners might be ignoring what's happening. But for us, we have to look at it. Every day. day, Every day. Every day. We can't ignore it. Because we have to sit with people in their pain. Yes. And acknowledge and research everything that's happening in the news. Right. Right? So it's not... We can't ignore it. Yeah. (laughs) And, yeah. So I think that's a huge thing and a lot of times that people don't see. But I totally think it's a listening thing. Like, nobody you don't listen you don't pay attention and you don't try to understand
1: like mm. what we are doing right but if if we scale back and like look at i think it's again another generalization totally. of the industry right mm. because i think about it before like before I met you Dieta and I learned about DJ and saw that you have a very like systems way of approaching things I don't also want to like pretend that like every person who claims to be an EDI di Absolutely. practitioner organization does that that's it. and that's a harsh reality that like us as an industry has to face it's very oversaturated um, and again, that goes back to capitalism. Some, some individuals and people are looking at ways, how can I make money off of these practices? Right. And I'm not saying it's bad to make money, but they've made that the sole focus. And while, whether that's selling checklists or simply appealing to buzzwords or going in and reassuring people like, right, okay, right, you've right. done good enough. You can put our organization on your PR label that we right. came through here. Yeah. I don't, I think and that's it, like, that's yeah. painting us all as bad. Cause. Yeah. And I think too. Like, that's actually a really good point. That's yeah. a huge
0: thing is we're in our retreat for DJA and Dieta's like, let's all take a step back. Like, why are we here? Right? I think that's a question we have to ask all the time, which I don't, again, I don't think a lot of people ask that. But for us and why I feel so strongly about working with you and at DJA and with the people we do is because I fully and wholeheartedly believe that we're all actually trying to make change and difference. And I think that, we would be doing it either way. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, we would, would be. be. So, we would yeah, be. you should be getting paid for doing the work you've been doing. <laughs> yeah. However do. long, because a lot of times for generations, we've been doing the same work and not getting paid for. Right, right, right. right. Exactly. So you might, like, we would be doing it either way. And so I think that,
1: Paying people for their, value, for their value, yeah. for their value, and it's really interesting. Yeah, I think this is the first time, even sitting here conversing, realizing like, oh, like we all—that's the big difference. We truly believe in it, and yeah. even if we weren't getting paid, I deeply believe we'd, we'd all be still, still, be still trying to make it. changes yeah. Yeah. the way yeah. that we could. because we did. Yeah. We have been. Our we have been. Yeah. 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 So generalizations. Yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. It's, it's interesting. I love. I love having this, and it's also interesting because I feel like. This this conversation kind of keeps going, even when we think about, you know, there's the EDI practitioner world that we, in, you know, we live in. There's also people who are activists, for example. And I, and I there's a there's a difference between being an activist and being more of a facilitator, right? That's what we are. We do, we're facilitators, we're strategists. Activism is different. Activist is kind of right, wrong, good, bad. We spend more time kind of in the middle, kind of facilitating people moving along a developmental continuum, either individually or within their organization or within an industry or at a systems level. And I do feel like there's a ridiculously important place for that, um, but, but there's also even inside of these other spaces like activism, these really specific and judgmental ways in which we expect our activists to live and exist. And there are these old mental models, like you have to be broke, you can't have any life or livelihood outside of your activism, you can't ever have fun or smile. But I feel like, you know, those of us who have decided to do work that is really kind of mission-driven in certain ways often have the additional um, burden of having to deal with the judgments for people who are like looking from the outside in and making judgments about right. whether this is the right path and also how we're doing it and how it is that we should be doing it these kind of armchair quarterback relationships that we have which is only another layer of burden and I think actually another layer of oppression.
1: Yeah, it really is and I think that like I've been told like okay well the things you do aren't actually going to like change anyone's life or impact them things like that and I we all who do this work every day, we realize it's an uphill battle in right. the fact that we all still show up and we're still trying to think of new innovative ways to make a change Yeah. versus like, I've never, we always say transformation or what can we do better, what can we change? It's not like we're sitting here on the same practices, on the ideas. We're like, well, these work, these made us money. Right. 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 And the, I think it's the, like, the organizations, companies, people that do that, they deserve that scrutiny, but. Yeah. I think it's about, like, learning who you're speaking to. Right.
0: And I, I have this conversation all the time. Like, we can't all be Oprah Win- Winfrey's. <laughs> like, like, we can. And so I think I have this conversation a lot as I think a lot of people in our generation want to change the world. And I think we do that. Like, yeah. I feel like I, my biggest life changers were teachers who no one will ever know their name or were, like, my coworker. Who no one will ever know their name and so i think like that's the biggest part of the uphill battle is we are transforming people it might take us one person at a time or one person sitting in this facilitation at a time but i've seen it even working at dja for not very long is at the beginning of a course or a facilitation they're like i don't know why i'm here you're gonna make me tell like tell me that i everything i do is bad because i'm a white man and i can't do anything right and then by the end they're like oh like, that's, yeah. that's not at all what you're saying. Right. And I'm like, okay, that changes one person's life because now they yeah. are making decisions for other people and, w- like,
1: it's, it will, it's a chain of events, There's
2: right? There's no question, yeah.
1: yeah. And, like, we have intersectionalities, like, of our identities. We also do of our beliefs. And I think this is a really good one where, like, in a way, we are activists. Yeah. And in a way, we also are, like this middle ground practitioner space but we have to be like a foot in both to do i think to do it well. Right. And right. I recommend that people from who are more again, more activists come over to our side and be practitioners because that's how we get fresh ideas and new perspectives but vice versa. Right, yeah. right, right. It takes a little bit of both to like to move us along. Yeah.
2: And and you know, related to that idea of like activism is you know, we we have to have opinions. We're not just agnostic, right? We do have values that we are firmly advocating for and pushing um, our clients towards. We are saying, no, 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 there is is actually something that is too exclusionary and we're gonna strongly recommend. We might not be able to boycott them or do, you (laughs) know, but we can say, we're gonna steer you away from that. And we're also gonna make sure that you clearly understand the consequences of not pursuing this more inclusive path or not pursuing this more equitable path and so we still do, in many ways, kind of have our own way of being activists, right. but not necessarily in the same demonstrative sort of way. A lot of times it's us kind of shepherding people, oftentimes kind of quietly or subtly, totally. through their own decision-making process, but especially people who have a lot of power and authority yeah. who want to do right, but they don't always understand and right. they need kind of a confidential guide right. to help them show up in the world that they way that they want to. Right, right? because
0: for a lot of people, especially those who make decisions, When you call them out, they shut down and don't listen. When you're in a room with them and your client like slowly giving them ideas or shaping their view over time, that makes a huge difference. And I mean, not to say that that those call-outs and those boycotts totally have a valid place, but I think for a lot of people, when when they don't feel attacked, which some people should be (laughs) attacked for some things they say, but when they're just trying to make a change in their workplace, I think that they are more willing to listen when they don't feel like they're being attacked. And they are, it's like a
1: full journey with your learning together, right? Yeah, we're like translators almost. That's what I feel like sometimes, because again, like our end goal, our mission, very similar, but we are speaking in a way that like might actually move people. Um, And I really like that, I like that visual. We are guiding, and I think the difference between activism is demanding these organizations meet them where they're at versus we meet them where the organizations and the leaders are. And then yeah. we kind of we guide them along over here. Yeah, yeah. And I, that works. People do shut down. People do get defensive. It doesn't it doesn't really cater an open honest dialogue or transparency or even encouraging people to grow.
2: Yeah. So, I do think that we live in a world where we need all of it. Right? Absolutely. We need Absolutely. all of it. And but but for for our, our work to not be kind of part of that really important formula would you know would be a huge absence. And also it's, I think that one of the other opportunities that we have and that we can talk about is, you know, how do we create that path forward, right? Because that's the thing that is oftentimes getting in the way for people is they, they care, they're willing, they have the resources, they have the decision-making authority, but they just don't know where where what is the end game? What are right. we actually trying to accomplish? What will it look like when we do it well? And then how do I get there? Right. And so maybe what we can do is after we take a word from our sponsors, we can come back and talk a little bit about when well, we t- if we talk about anchoring to aspiration, right? Which is my one of my favorite phrases, we talk about what that can and should look like. What is that, what is the work of actually helping people understand what that aspirational uh, new, uh, reality is, and then also what is the path for getting there. Okay. All right. So word from our sponsors. We'll be right back.
3: This episode is brought to you by culture road, a live and on-demand digital learning solution powered by Dietta Jones and associates culture road is an easy to use subscription, delivering fresh content monthly and access to experts to help professionals at all levels thrive in the contemporary workplace stay up to date with best practices on diversity, equity, and inclusion and acquire the necessary skills and tools to effectively lead, manage, and influence others. Get connected with our community of practice to further your professional development at cultureroad.com
2: So before break we were talking about you know, different ideas associated with you know, the problems of You know, having judgmental um, affinity group members, people who actually share the same passion for equity and anti oppression in the world, but who have different approaches to it and kind of judging each other and not necessarily supporting each other as opposed to potentially um, building a shared path that's really positive. The other thing that is, you know, absolutely acknowledged is that inequities do exist and we have had a ridiculously hard time getting some of the changes that we want to need in the world and it's necessary to have activism and intervention and disruption and radical um, ideas and behaviors and interrogation and at the same time for us our work has been really about you know trying to figure out how do we play that dual role right kind of with the activist energy and ideological um, perspective about where it is that we want to go that is absolutely driven by our inclusive values right it's not like we're agnostic like anything's good right we actually care about what we're trying to do but then we also are trying to figure out how do we help create space for people who are newer to this journey or who have the ability and the desire to be part of something that is more inclusive and more equitable but don't know how And for me, that's the opportunity to really think about the idea of like anchoring to aspiration. And this phrase has been a phrase that I've just loved and been using for decades and decades. Well, not decades and decades, just one decade. (laughs) I'm not that old. But it's really about, um, I, I think human energy is more motivated by the future and by the possibility of building something. I think humans are designed to build humans are designed to grow humans love having a vision that we can pursue a vision for our life a vision for our health our happiness our family our children's happiness and well-being our organizations whatever it is we love to build we get tremendous like intrinsic satisfaction for that from that and so for me i've always taken the philosophy of how do we find that aspirational destination and then use that to help compel people's energy, individually and then collectively, rather than only spending time, like solely spending time focusing on all the things that we haven't gotten right yet or all the ways that we've had atrocities in our past. Those things are ridiculously present and need to be accounted for, but we also have to give people a path out of that. We have to say, okay, if all of these things were wrong, here's what right looks like, or here's what it could look like, or here's how we, here's how it could be that we could build something that is better together. And here's not just what that vision is, which is a really compelling opportunity for people to start visualizing what it might look like and to see themselves in it, but also to figure out like, what are the steps that I personally might take or that my organization might invest in to help us get from here to there? And I feel like that's the place that I'm really compelled by. And I always have been, right? And and, and it hasn't always been in fashion. A lot of times people have been like, you're too Pollyanna or it's not gonna work and all you get is incremental change. But I feel like over the years I've had more positive success finding people who really want to be allies and advocates and mentors and sponsors than people who have shut me down and said, No, this is not this is not something that's even palatable for us. So for me that's where the anchor to aspiration idea comes into play. And I just wonder, like, I don't know if you know, coming from your points of view, as people who are newer to your careers or have different identities and lived experiences, what do you you think about that? Like, do you have any perspectives about, you know, is is anchoring to aspiration to Pollyanna? Is it to walking around with rose colored glasses? Is it, we're past that point, we tried it, it didn't work. Now we have to do something more disruptive. I'd love to hear your perspective on that.
1: Oh, and it's such a big question my brain is like arguing two different sides cause I truly see both points I think that there's like anchoring to aspiration and like we all know what that vision looks like and part of me is like yeah like it's excited about that and understands like our baton race of almost getting there and then another part of me is like but if we all know what it looks like and we all know it's possible like why why are not we like, doing everything in our power to to push it to get right. it but that's an, that is a really optimistic and idealistic view because the reality is we aren't going to be able to change and make the changes we want by tomorrow and that's not because there's a lack of of will from us it's because that's the system doesn't move that way and so I I'm more practical I think where we where we stand in the realm that we work in is in a place of practicality mm-hmm. right
0: yeah and I think the thing is like we know what that looks like but I don't think everyone looks Yeah like yeah that yeah. Like, like I'm thinking as someone who's spent a lot of time in different spaces is there's a lot of people who don't see a problem with mm. the way that the world is right now. Like um yeah. and I, I think we like to think that that's not a, a big of a piece as it is but I think that or our view of that is much more radical than what yeah. others yeah, yeah. might be. And so I think for me, um, I do think, I, I understand and, and probably am, well definitely am in that space, but I do think that the radical view of it has brought a lot of attention to yeah. the problems, yeah. right? Yeah. Like. And, and I think that's why I think that there totally is a, a valid space for like you said there we have to acknowledge that and, and there's a space for people who have a different approach to it. But I think the way that we all see that, like you said is, is more practical and also understanding that both of those a lot of times have to work at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Like there yeah. Ha- there have to be people outside trying to break it down and there have to be people inside trying to tell people why they're trying to break it down right and that's like my view of it is I am trying to help them understand why people are trying to break it down yeah and 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 if you don't want them to break it down then we have to do something about yeah. it right yeah and and I think that's the question that people don't understand is if is you are mad that they're trying to break it down but if you don't want that to happen then you have to make a change yeah right?
1: I see. Like, in my head, I really do see it. You guys know, are starting to tell. I like. I. I really picture, envision things. But like, we have like the bulldozer, and it's like knocking down the building one swoop. Like, let's just get rid of it. And then there is us, and we are literally dismantling it, but brick by brick. And as we take one brick down, we are intentionally, carefully placing another one there. Right. And we are—we have an overall vision that we are building too. We know exactly kind of how we want to get there. So it's a more step-by-step process, um, but I wouldn't say it's any less radical. Yeah, because like, we do want like transformative change, right? Yeah, and we do want structures that are completely different and practices that have really not been done before are set president to. So I think that yeah, there's a balance there. We, it's closer than what we think.
2: Yeah. It's interesting when you think when you say that, because it's like there it's, it's working like it's instead of like demolishing the system to, have to think about ways to work within a system. I don't know if it has to be that binary, but it is interesting to think about, like within some of our the organizations that we work with. Right. So think about some of the organizations where we work and they have, you know, longstanding identities and brands that have been, you know, celebrated where they are seen as you know, top tier, best in class, world renowned, whatever it is, think about higher education, think about it, corporations, whatever the industry is, we definitely work with clients like that. And they, wanna, they want to take their brand and their identity to the next stage. They don't want to wipe away their brand and identity. And a, right. the tricky part is that along with their brand and identity oftentimes comes a lot of exclusionary either practices and or experiences that people have had because they've you know, made it really hard for people to work there, but they have made it really hard for people to get into school there, but they've made it really expensive for people to be able to actually go to school there and not have so much debt coming out that it's not upside down for years and years and years. And so for us to try to figure out like, how is it that we can take some of those things that have allowed that institution to be successful and then also incorporate for them additional models and voices that are going to be kind of next generation for the way that they see themselves. And it will keep their brand and their identity and their positioning in their industry strong, but will be absolutely reconceptualizing the how of how they show up, right? And, that, and, the, and the, 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 the little threads that are often kind of the invisible things that are really transformational, that's where our work often lies. Like a lot of times people see us as facilitating or talking or workshops or courses or whatever Mm -hmm. and that's some of it But some of the most transformational things that we actually do are about like policy change right like how is it that your um, policies and your processes and your criteria for advancement are going to be interrogated and adding an equity lens to them in order to allow for more women or more people of color or more people who from non-traditional employment experiences to be considered and advanced. How is it that you can apply equity lenses so that everyone in your organization, not just the diversity officer or not just this committee, actually now is equipped to be able to make sure that they're advocating and being real sponsors to make sure that the advancement that they seek in the organization is possible. And those kinds of things that really require a careful, nuanced, involvement within the system, that's a lot of the oftentimes invisible work. But to me, that's real transformational work. It's like at right. the nitty gritty systems level, we're really trying to infuse new ideas and new practices in right. ways that are scalable and integrated and sustainable and in ways that are demonstrable so that they right. don't get so that they don't disappear. Right. When yeah. that's all of a sudden they don't go out of style.
0: Yeah.
2: And I think those two things work
0: together really well and I have a higher ed background so that's always where my head goes but I think I've been in a lot of institutions where they want to recruit diverse populations and my argument was always don't diverse don't recruit diverse populations if when they get here they have no support right like and so I think that's where those two things come together is those classes create a space where when you change the policy to get more voices in the room, right, right. they have a safe space to have their voices heard, right? right? And so for me, like I know this in real world has been huge because I have never worked in a place where I had been able to talk about my wife. Like I last year got married and I was so excited to talk about it but in my previous places of work, I didn't feel comfortable talking about it, right? And so I came to D J A, and I'm like, people are so excited and they're sending me wedding gifts and I can talk about it and it's so fun. And because I can bring that identity to the workplace, I feel like I can do a better job. Right. And so I think that's where those two things come together is because you have the policy that brought me from Utah somehow (laughs) into your organization. And then I came here and felt welcomed and like I was in a safe space is the key yeah. i think is that's a
2: huge key right and then continuing to scaffold that because right. most organizations right have hundreds if not thousands of either policies and or practices right that you know sometimes they're documented but sometimes they're more formal or not that actually create access right for people or roadblocks right, right? and then how is it that we help our clients and help other organizations understand that that's the place where real equity lives. Like right. you really want to disrupt and be radical, be radical in the weeds. Right. Equity lives in mm. the de- in the details, right? right. Equity lives yes. in those little details. There are big things. You can knock down the whole house, but what are you gonna build? What are right. you gonna build? But to actually say all of these things, like these advancement policies that, I actually talked to a client several years ago that had um, a very, very significant lack of representation of women in the C-suite level. And they just could not figure out how to get women to kind of director level and above in their organization. And they've been wrestling with this for years and they had been very heavily prioritized, but they could not figure out what the problem was. And I asked them about all of their advancement processes and policies and all to a person they said, that they had really created them very carefully, and they all used the word objective. Every single person I talked to said, oh, they're really objective, we really spent a lot of time doing it. I was like, can I take a look, (laughs) right? And I took a look and I was like, how come this uninterrupted ability to travel internationally is part of this, right? Right. And so think about it. Disproportionately, women are the ones who actually have children and or are childcare. Uh, providers, primary right. child care providers, disproportionately speaking. And so this ability to just travel right. year after year on these international trips that are 10 days or two weeks or a month or six weeks for this intensive experience is not an option right. for a lot of women for all sorts of practical reasons. Right. And they could not see that. And right. right. But those are the things and there's millions of those that exist in the world right. where if we could actually get in and start figuring out ways to do that focused work in more detailed and scalable ways that become really integrated and sustainable practices over time. We really can transform organizations at the same time. We need to continue to develop our skills. We need to create strategy. We need to continue doing that work. But there's a lot of that actual systemic work that could be really, really powerfully done and is really being powerfully done, but that may not be as easy to see and as kind of sexy and glamorous to describe as Something that seems like a bigger kind of emphasis on calling out an entire well, industry yeah. or calling out something that's broken. Yeah, and I think that's another thing is like you can burn it all down, but
0: those people will still be there and they still won't know how to create a safe place. They won't they know what to know. do! They don't know. <laughs> they it, don't know. It doesn't, like it takes the, st- the structure down, but then they're still there not knowing yeah. what they did, did wrong guess, well, or how to change it. They should know what they did wrong, but they won't, right? they'll just so i think that's why it's such an important
1: place yeah and i know a big like a big um people critique like okay well all you guys do is teach all you do is teach and that's definitely not all that we do but it is such an important part because if we don't teach people how to be different they won't be right? yeah yeah and yeah. like i i've never quite understood like why that was such a critique against us when like learning is the only way that we can move forward
2: yeah well it's kind of the way that i think about accountability there's so many and this has always been the case but we oftentimes call for people to be held accountable not just now always this has always been a case we want we want our leaders to be held accountable we want people to be held accountable for their behaviors the tricky part is that i believe that accountability begins at the beginning not at the end oftentimes we're trying to hold people accountable after they've done something wrong and by the way we never told them what the bar was right we, we expected them to know it and maybe in hindsight if they looked back on it and they had kind of the lenses that we have on it maybe right. they would have done things differently but it's really hard to actually hold a person accountable in a way that is going to punish them and also turn into a learning learning right. as in they're gonna do something differently in the future right to me that's the whole point it's not just about punishing people and making an example of people it's about equipping people with the tools and the behaviors for actually doing it better in the future right so to just tell people you did it wrong and make them embarrassed to ever make that mistake again just means that we're cutting off a potential additional ally or sponsor Right. right and so for me I feel like this accountability call has to be coupled with opportunity to say let's talk about what the bar is right right? that educational piece then let's make sure that you have the developmental expectations tools and then milestones for crossing that bar right right?
0: and i think that starting earlier and earlier i like i'm thinking i have two nephews who i love so so much and they're growing up in the same small town i did but for me when i get them a present i always get them (laughs) like a book that has like like families look all different things where those books didn't even exist when when we were kids and so which like that's not a huge age gap like it's a few decades right yeah and so it's like that learning yeah Is huge even from like a developmental phase right for when my nephews will see a book with two moms or a grandma who is the caretaker where I never saw that so for me it wasn't even an option and so I think that's where like learning then, like they get to learn that when they're children, whereas we didn't. So now yeah. we have you have to learn that sometime,
1: right? Yeah. And the, we take like this same idea and look at our own industry. Um I have a father, he's a lot older, he's seventy-five, but he 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 was alive, he started, he entered the workforce in nineteen sixty nine, literally the last year of civil rights. And his work, even though the language wasn't there at the time, was considered mm-hmm. the first like diversity practitioner who's brought in by a major corporation that thousands of people globally and they only had six black employees and he's one of them and when i when i was in my very i'd say more radical youth he would always like correct me and remind me that like you can do what you do you can even see that vision in that future because of the work that i did <laughs> and not only activists yeah. that like that we talk about but the people who actually went into these organizations yeah, yeah, and in a much harder time and laid the foundation. He tells me, he loves to remind me that you have a job because I did the work, so your boss <laughs> yeah, has a yeah. company. Yeah. You're welcome, you're welcome, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Deanna Jones Associates is here because of the work I did. Yes, like,
2: right. I should thank your father too. Thank you, thank <laughs> you.
1: And when you look at it like that, I think it's a good way of like, retrospectively understanding like yeah there's different things that we as an industry practitioners could have done better but we didn't know that at the time right at any given time I like to believe that we're all just doing the best we can right and know
2: how to do yeah and adapting and changing and growing as we go through this journey right right and we're doing it authentically right Right. that's the thing that's super important is and I'm glad that you even mentioned that conversation that we had during our retreat which you know, where it was like, hey, you know, let's just make sure we're all on the same page. Right. We're not just here making sure that our operational efficiencies are in order. We're here because we're philosophically aligned. Right. We're actually trying to change the world. Yeah. Right. And that's that's a it, it's it's pretty amazing to wake up every day and be able to be surrounded by people who are trying to change the world. But it's exhausting. Yeah. Right. And it's hard. It's like pushing a rock uphill with your yeah. nose. Right. It's Sisyphean yeah. in a lot of ways. So it's, it's, it's really cool to be able to like have these spaces right. where we talk about our philosophical alignment and also where we can kind of support each other in like, okay, this is, this is where we're trying to go. Let's remember what the vision right. is, right? And then figure out how we support each other yeah. on that path.
0: Where our accountants like, that's great. I love that you're making the world a better place, but we all need a paycheck to go. Home. We're, <laughs> right, all like, right, we're right. just trying true. to change the world. We're just trying right. to change the world. <laughs> yeah. She's like, okay. It's yeah. <laughs> <ease." laughs> very, very true. Yeah, it's a very cool space to be in. Yeah.
2: yeah. It is. And it's a cool time to be here. I know it also seems like, you know, just because there's so much disruption in the world right now, it can it's for a lot of people it's a really scary time right. a really scary place. As, as much as I feel that, and I have definitely been scared, um, I also am more excited. Yeah. You know, I feel like all of my life's work and effort and experiences are finally being focused on right now. And right. it's a degree to which we actually get all that we're looking for. I don't know, but right. the energy that I have for continuing every single day to right. like, even my a game right. is so high. I'm yeah. just so excited that I get a chance to be alive during this moment in time where yeah. the whole world is coming together and caring about the kinds of issues that are really going to allow us to have a transformational experience. I don't know what it's gonna look like on the other end, but I'm determined to yeah. be part yeah. of it. Yep, and the shift is really, really
1: exciting. And you can feel the energy.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. We definitely can collectively. And I think that even talking about our watch our past episode we talked about the metaverse we it's a little plug <laughs> but we're building literally new worlds right, um, yeah. and new ways of working and new ways of showing up and engaging and the fact that in the past um even talking about diversity equity inclusivity anti-oppression all that would have been something done retrospectively right. that's just proactively like right, at the right. forefront of everything like that that's what i anchor that's too. What that's I to that's my aspiration yeah. i love it
2: i yeah. love it I was just gonna ask that. We are officially winding down. So I was gonna ask like, what is it that you're anchoring to? What is your aspiration? So when you talk about the fact that we're actually building a new world an example like the metaverse, that's a really great, that's a really great example. Yeah. What
0: about you, Lexi? What do you I think mine to? is, I'm obsessed with my nephew, so I'm going to bring them up. But the, the fact that the things that I do every day will make a place for them to show up authentically so much earlier than we ever were able to. Like, I think especially as, as three women who went to college in like very white spaces, um, I didn't even go to work with natural hair until like this year. Deanna's like, oh, look at your hair. I'm like, I know, I didn't know I could wear my hair like this, right? <laughs> right? I was told like straight hair would be pro- is professional, right? So I think just being in a space where doing the work I do every day makes it a better space for the younger people to just be able to show up authentically today okay. and not have to wait to do it until
1: they're older right right i know i already kind of answered but i think you'll like this point this is (laughs) what i kind of learned from tienda it's like regardless of title whether it's activist di practitioner or just no title at all i think i meet and engage with people every day on all levels of lots of identities who really care and i think they are really well intentioned and i see that more often than not like the intention is yeah yeah
2: yeah yeah i'm anchoring to the the fact that there's this global community of people yeah. who are really pulling in the same direction we we have a long way to go but i actually feel really hopeful i feel far more hopeful than lacking hope yes. I, I can i can see and because of technology and because of globalization i actually can see first person like firsthand all of these different voices and all the different ways in which people are willing to kind of show up and all the different innovations that people are bringing to try to create more equity in the world and it makes me ridiculously excited. Yeah. It also makes me ridiculously excited to have, you know, and this is for me, you know, at this point in my career, the, the the opportunity to have folks like you where I'm like, you know what? I've been going hard for a long time and it's really nice to be able to just kind of pull back and be like, yep, there are voices and out there and people who are philosophically aligned, who are doing a lot of the heavy lifting. Not to say I'm not gonna continue to do heavy lifting, but to know that there's a whole lot of us that are coming from many different spaces who are doing this is really heartening. Mm -hmm. So, all right, my friends, we did it. (laughs) End of episode, good conversation. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. All right, we are done. That is our episode on Burning It Down versus Anchoring to Aspiration. We hope that you left inspired, We hope that we peppered you with some ideas about thinking about your own philosophy and how you can bring that to your personal practice and also to your organization. And we would look forward to seeing you for our next episode of Culture Road Podcast.
3: Thanks for tuning into the Culture Road Podcast. We want to hear from you. Take a screenshot of this podcast and share it on social media to let us know that you're listening. You can find us on Twitter at Dieta M. Jones. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Have a question or comment? Drop a note under this episode or email us at podcast at cultureroad.com. You might hear your commentary on a future episode. Until next time.